I'm excited about this is an experiment for us to bring all the classes together. And so I, I need to see what classes are here. Do we have any high schoolers here at all? Any at all? Okay, I got, I got hands, but okay, great. Good to have you guys. What about college class? Woohoo! Lots of college class spread out. Um, fit class is here. We have some of our fit class here. Um, adult classes are here. Young marrieds. We have seen young marrieds. This is exciting for me to bring people together and bring the groups together. The way the class is going to work is we're going to start together each week. And then the, the end of class, we're going to have some breakout times where some of the different groups can break out together. And then the adults that are in here can break into groups and, and do an assignment together. Especially when we get to studying some of the different genres of Scripture. Then we'll be giving you a passage and saying, here, go do it. Go practice what we've taught. Because that's how we learn to study Scripture is by putting it into practice. So I'm glad you're here. Again, there's handouts in the back. Please be sure you get one. Let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Lord God, our Father, pray that you would bless our time together, instruct us with your word, and help us do the work necessary to understand your word. Lord, I pray that you would equip this congregation to be students of your word, to be teachers of your word, and to to love it and know it well. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever sat down and, and read, maybe you're doing a Bible reading program, you've read through a passage, and you get to the end of the passage, and you're like, Huh? I have no idea what I just read. Anyone ever have that experience? Okay, a lot of you. That, that's common because the, the Bible is, is written in so many different er- ways, and we'll get to that, why it's hard to just read it and understand, but yet it's intended to be understood. Let me read a verse to you. Hebrews 5, 6. As he, also, as, as he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. A life-changing verse. What would you need to know to understand that verse? Who's Melchizedek, okay? Who he's talking to? Man, if he's talking to me, I get to be a priest in the order... He's not talking to me. He's not talking to the church. He's talking about Jesus Christ there. What else might you need to know? Didn't hear that. The what? What is the order of Melchizedek, okay? What's a priest's function? Because it says you are a priest forever after the order of uh, Melchizedek. So you have all these things just in one verse that you're already catching. It can take some work to understand the Bible. Is that a scary statement? That it, it might take work to understand the Bible? Yeah. It's a daunting task. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, there's a richness and a depth that we can keep digging into and keep exploring that if, if it was simple to understand it completely the first time through, it just wouldn't be God's Word. But God's Word is continuing to work through that. Um, I'd like to put up a, do a little exercise together. Put up a picture, and this is the same picture in your notes. The next picture, Don, of the shuttle. We're getting mileage out of the shuttle today. I'd like you to write down in your right margin, if you have a pen, if not, you can just think about it. What are five things you observe about the picture? Write them down. down. Five things you observe about the picture that you learn from the picture. 
Give you just a few more seconds. I know that might cut off some of you. Okay, give me some of your answers. NASA on the tail. It's a white plane. It's in the air. There's blue sky. It's not stormy that day. Okay, you can you can deduce that from that picture, right? What else? The shuttle can't fly on its own. Now, what if you knew nothing about the shuttle and you had never seen an airplane before? What might you you learn from this picture? Well, and if you've never seen an airplane before, you might say that animal carries its children on its back. <laughs> How do we know that that's not what the picture says? Context. Context. We, we have a certain context that we view this picture. We automatically know this isn't a bird carrying its child on its back. Sort of what it looks like, though, I mean, if you had never seen it. Okay, write down five more things you observe. Okay, give me a few more observations that maybe weren't obvious at first. The engines of the space shuttle are covered. The engines of the space shuttle are covered. Inter th that's getting a little deeper into the picture. Someone else. There's pig iron structural modifications to the 7040. <laughs> <laughs> think he has a different picture. <laughs> okay, so some people know enough about it that they can get other things. Absolutely. There's additional control surfaces of the tail. If you know, the, are you talking the side? Someone knows what those are called, probably. Oh, okay. It's a great observation. Those are things we may have missed the first time because we were looking at the obvious. Okay, just for fun, write down five more things. <laughs> Don't throw things at me, please. <laughs> Okay, give me some other observations you may not have noticed. The what? The shuttle has windows, okay? A flag. There's a flag, so you have great eyes. <laughs> On the tail, yeah. A flag, good. What else? The bottom of the plane is gray. What was that, Jim? No tail number. I thought you said there's no tail. And I'm like, um. <laughs> nice. Um, so there's all kinds of things. I mean, we could get into how a plane is structured, that a 747 needs four engines, and, and they must be strong engines to carry this. And we could go deeper and deeper the more that we do this. And we could do this all day, but we're not. Um, studying the Bible isn't that different. Studying the Bible as we come to it, as we, we seek to interpret the Bible and understand the Bible, there are a whole number of things that stand out to us at first glance. But if we work at it, if we come back to it and dig deeper and find out more information, the riches that come out of God's Word are astounding. And so that's what this class is about, is coming to the riches of God's Word and seeing what, what He has for us in His Word. We were... Sorry looking at your notes to see where you, where, what you have next. Biblical interpretation, sometimes called hermeneutics. It's a, a nice big word. If you don't know how to spell it, it's right below it. Sometimes called hermeneutics. This isn't some, something that some guy named Herman does. But the word for hermeneutics comes from the Greek word hermeneia, which means interpretation or explanation. 
interpretation or explanation. And the principles, we use it to refer to all of the principles that we use to correctly interpret and understand God's Word. We could take God's Word just, just on its surface and we could go a lot of places that it never intended to go if we're not careful how to interpret it. And so this passage is about interpreting God's Word. In Luke 24, we have the story of the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Remember that story? And it's, it's after the resurrection and they're going there and all of a sudden this guy is walking with them. And Jesus is walking with them and they're, they're talking about um, everything that's happened and Jesus begins to systematically interpret or explain the Scriptures to them. In Luke twenty four twenty seven, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. They didn't see it at first, but in aid, He helped them understand it. Acts chapter 8, the, the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember, Philip comes alongside and the Holy Spirit says, Go up and explain. And, and and Philip says, do you know what you're reading? And he goes, no, actually, I don't understand it. It's Isaiah. Who understands Isaiah? And, and Philip hops up in there, and he begins to explain Isaiah and the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. And the Ethiopian eunuch accepts Christ right there. And so, as we come to Scripture, it's okay that we need help. It's okay that we need to learn how to study Scripture. It's okay that we use tools that help us understand it. Because that's the pattern we see. It's that important to understand it. So why? Why is learning to correctly interpret the Bible important? First one you have there, reading does not necessarily equal understanding. Reading does not necessarily equal understanding. We've already talked about that. So number two, proper guidance can aid in understanding. Proper guidance can aid in understanding. That might be a person we're hoping that it's some teaching that teaches us how to understand God's Word. Number three, it is essential to understand the text correctly to teach the Bible properly. Does that make sense? It's important to understand the Bible correctly to teach the Bible properly. I pray that we raise up teachers of God's Word. But to do that, we've got to understand God's Word. Someone can't come up here and, and teach that Jesus Christ has already ret- the second coming has already happened. Which we, which we saw referred to in the New Testament, that would be taking a, a poor interpretive stance to God's Word and teaching heresy. We sometimes... Um, or the next one, number four, interpretation is essential for applying the Bible properly. It is essential for applying the Bible properly. You, you've seen and, and we've talked about the, the sequence to, to reading God's Word, observation, interpretation, application... Well, what if we took the middle one out, interpretation? And we just had observation and then apply whatever you want. You can say anything. It's really handy sometimes, but it could get you into trouble. One guy was, was taking that, that approach to understanding Scripture, and so he, he opened up Scripture. He's go, he said, I'm going to observe something, and I'm going to apply it. And he opens to Matthew 27.5. And some of you have heard this before. It's sort of fun. Matthew 27, 5 says, And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. Hmm. Don't really want to hang myself. Let's find another verse. Flips over, comes to Luke 10, 37. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Hmm. <laughs> Holy Spirit wants me to hang myself. 
I really don't want to. Let's come up with another verse. Turns to John 13, 27. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. There might be problems of application if, if the guy went out and hung himself. It's humorous. I, I hope someone wouldn't actually do that. But we actually have cases where people have misunderstood Scripture that much. We need to understand Scripture to be able to... And finally, number five there, handling God's Word accurately is commanded. It is commanded. Fifteen, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of Truth. So what makes proper interpretation difficult? See, we're separated from the message of the Bible. The Bible was written thousands of years ago. But it applies to us today because it is God's eternal truth. But we're separated from how the author wrote. And there's, there's six ways that we mentioned there. We'll just go through these quickly because throughout the class we'll talk about them. Chronologically, which happened a long time ago. Geographically, what was that? Spell it. C-H-R-O-N-O. Logically. L-O-G-I-C-A-L-L-Y. I know that was quick. Thank you. <laughs> Geographically, second one, we don't live where these things were written. It makes a huge difference. Geographically. Culturally sort of plays into that. It's written to a different culture. There's things that they say that we don't understand in our culture or we may misinterpret in our culture. Linguistically, they were written in a different language, and so studying the English, we're looking at a, a translation. Literarily, not literally, but literarily, means they use different genres of literature that we need to understand to be able to understand God's Word. And finally, six, sinfully. Sinfully. We are fallen man, and so we come to Scripture with a worldview that is tainted, that is corrupted, and it makes it hard to understand it. Yep. Yeah. And so we have to realize it's still powerful and effective. We just—it takes a little bit of work to understand it, and it takes some some um, information. And we shouldn't be afraid of that. Next page. I have a quick review. What do we believe about the Bible? And. You can read these on your own because we need to keep moving. But we believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God, divinely inspired, the very words of God in every, every word and the entirety of it. We believe in the inerrancy of the Bible. It's without fault in the sufficiency that is what God has given us for how to live. And so if it's sufficient, then we should study it and we should work to study it. As you, you've heard... The, in this class, we're going to be roughly basing it on the book Playing with Fire by Walt Russell. Um, wonderful man of God, and he's written a book to help us understand God's Word. And so we'll be taking some things out of the chapters, chapters 1 and 2 today, which is why we're going to keep just plowing through. We will have copies of this available next week if you're interested. And so $10? $10 if you're interested, and that just covers our cost. Um, so I'd love to see people buying it and uh, learning from it, studying along. But chapter 1, he's titled, Playing with Fire. 
And the idea of what, where, where he starts and where we want to start is understanding that God's word is powerful. If we lit this room on fire, would there be power in that? Yeah, we'd run. There would be, I mean, it would be a destructive power, but we'd run because it would destroy the whole building. But God's word is powerful not to destroy, but to build up. When we correctly understand God's word, its power is released in our lives. So the goal of scripture reading is holy heartburn. Holy heart, heartburn, Batman? No, <laughs> I'm sorry. For those of you that remember the old Batman show. Holy heartburn. Heartburn. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? We'll get there. Turn in your Bibles to Luke 24. Luke 24. Same passage, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24, and I'd like to focus on verses 32 and 33. Would someone read those verses, 32 and 33? This is after Jesus has explained the scriptures and he's revealed himself to them. This is their response. Did you catch that in verse 32? Holy heartburn. <laughs> Their hearts burned within them when the scriptures were explained to them. That's the goal of studying God's Word. That it burns in our heart. That it convicts our hearts. The, the blank you have there is read the Bible expecting to be convicted. Expecting to be convicted. Their hearts burned because they understood and then they acted on it. Like James 1.22 says, to be doers of the word, they went out and they acted on it. No other book has the revealing power of the Bible. When we look at the power of what, how it can burn in our hearts, no other book has the revealing power of the Bible. Hebrews 4.12, which is in your notes, the, the reference, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the, to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There is no other book on earth that pierces to the, 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 the heart of the matter. No other book has the revealing power of the Bible. The Bible is also the main thing God uses to form us into Christ's likeness. The main thing God uses to form us into Christ's likeness is His Word. That's the sufficiency of Scripture. I encourage you, we, we put a number of references in there that you can study on your own throughout the week. And the Second Peter 1, 3, and 4 passage is, is huge there, that He has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He uses His Word to form us. We can understand God's Word if we are willing to open it, read it, and work to understand it. We can understand God's Word if we are willing to open it, read it, and work to understand it. This happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. But you must take it and read it yourself. You have to take it and eat it yourself to get anything out of it. It doesn't work to put your Bible under your pillow and wake up in the morning a saint with all kinds of knowledge. 
just like it didn't work in school. Some of our students still try that. We have to work at it. And so the Bible is trying to give holy heartburn, to burn our hearts, to convict our hearts. We can explore this further on the next page, the fiery nature of the Bible. The fiery nature of the Bible. How does it burn our hearts? What does it try to burn away? And the first thing it does is it helps us get a new pair of glasses. Helps us get a new pair of glasses. When you wear a pair of sunglasses, what does that do to everything you see? Changes everything you see, right? If they're tinted sunglasses, suddenly everything's yellow or everything's blue. It it tints everything you see. And in the same way, we come to Scripture with certain worldviews that tint everything we read. And the Bible, God's intention with His Word is to challenge our worldview, to challenge how we view everything around us, how we interpret reality, and replace it with a Bible, uh, Bible-focused worldview. So with the fiery nature of the gospel of the Bible, it, getting a new pair of glasses, it challenges our worldview. We're coming in the Western mindset from a very human-only, uh, a human-centric worldview. That's how we interpret reality. So God torches that human-centered view of the world. I love all the references to fire. And so we have to understand the worldview we're coming to Scripture with to, to see what God wants to do with it. We're coming with an individualistic worldview that has a lot, draws a lot from existentialism. I can't talk at this point on a Sunday. Anyone know what existentialism is? If you can pronounce it. It's the philosophy of existence. And specifically, I exist, and I am a morally free agent, which means I can make my own decisions. Do you, do you, do you catch where the center of this philosophy is? So if I can make my own decisions, then it is upon me to make, help me be fulfilled. Because I am a morally free agent. I'm not under anyone else's direction for how to make those decisions. I put some definitions in there finding the essence of human existence in freedom, in the duty of self-determination and the freedom of choice. And this comes from our Western individualistic mindset. It, it's permeated by this. The picture there that, that Russell uses, called our, our existential worldview, sort of illustrates what this is. I'm at the center of it. I feel empty inside, because we, we have an emptiness that can only be filled by Jesus Christ. I feel empty inside, so if I am a morally free agent, then I am to look at all the options in life and pick and choose what to do with my time and what to bring into my life so that I fill that emptiness. Do people work under that paradigm in our world? Almost everyone you need to talk to. Believers and non-believers, unfortunately. And so we have life's elements that come in And each individual is earnestly seeking to give life meaning and purpose by creatively mixing these elements from life's smorgasbord. And so now I can choose my priorities. And if you notice in that, even for the Christian, you have God, church, and the Bible as some of the smorgasbord. And so if I'm to fulfill myself, I need God a little bit in there. And I need church a little bit in there. And the Bible, what's wrong with that worldview? What was that? They need to be priorities, but what's at the center? 
me. And the ultimate goal is always what are priorities to fulfill me, to make me happy. Whereas God's Word says your only priority is to make God happy, to bring Him glory. Everything else contributes to that one thing. You are not the center. And so if we think about it, existentialism leads to narcissism, which is the love of self. Because if I'm the free moral agent, if I'm making decisions for myself, now I am loving myself and and I become king. And then after narcissism, it's, it's just a short step to relativism. Because if I'm making my own decisions, if I'm fulfilling myself because I care about myself more than anything else, then the world has to be relativistic. It's all based on whether my needs are, are met rather than where someone else's needs are met. And so we end up in a world where truth is relative and there is no moral truth and where things are falling apart as we speak. But we've all been tainted by that. We all come to God's Word with that worldview. And so we read God's Word thinking what's in it for me, right? Why, why is Genesis chapter 1 sometimes boring? There's no people. I'm not there yet. And so people read Genesis 1, and we sort of read through it quickly. And, and, and not everyone, and I'm not accusing anyone in here, but I've watched people do that. We read through it quickly, and then we get to Adam. And we're like, okay, now man is on the scene. I can relate with this. What's the problem with that? We're reading it through an existential point of view that says, I am what's important here. Why is chapter 1 so incredible of Genesis 1 in Genesis? Because God's there. And because God shows His glory. And that's the point of God's Word. Not Adam. The point is God. And that changes how we read God's Word. You might say, well, how does it change it? But for, for every passage, instead of saying, what, how does this apply to me? How can this make me have a better life? The first question should be, how does this reveal who God is and what God is doing? See the difference? One will lead to bad, bad interpretation and bad application. The other will guide us into a correct view of God's Word. And we're already running out of time. Another example of that. Evangelism. Four spiritual laws. How do they start? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Biblical worldview or existential worldview? Sorry if I'm stepping on toes. God loves you. Is that true? Absolutely. Taught clearly in the Bible. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Is that true? Depends on how you view it. How do most people read that? What was that? Prosperous, easy. He has a wonderful plan for my life here. He has a wonderful life for me. So how, what do you do with the, the believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ that are being tortured this morning because they worshiped God? Does God have a wonderful plan for their life? Not here on earth necessarily, but it's wonderful because it's His plan for His glory and eternally there's fulfillment in that. 
So we have to be careful with how our individualistic mindset has permeated everything we do, including how we read Scripture and how we teach Scripture. I'm not saying we should never use that track, but we better explain what we mean by that. Because people come away thinking of a health and wealth gospel which is contrary to Scripture. And they may say a prayer, but they may not be saved. It's that serious. And so our worldview is important. Sorry, you got on a little soapbox there. Biblical worldview. God is working his plan through all of human history. It's his story. And it's better that way. My story is only for 70, 80 years. His story is for eternity. He is redeeming creation to himself through the work of Christ for his glory. My job isn't to read the Bible as if it's my plan, but to align myself with his plan. Number two there, the Bible burns because it penetrates our sinful defenses and purifies the soul. Penetrates our sinful defenses and purifies the soul. We've already read Hebrews 4.12 that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We need to come to Scripture expecting it to change us. Chapter 2 there, and we'll just hit the next two pages pretty quickly. Transformation through information. Have you ever heard people say, we read the Bible differently? We're going to read the Bible devotionally now? Or we're going to read the Bible for information and study the Bible? Is there a difference between the two? No one's sure whether they want to answer that one. Yes, there is a difference between the two. But are they connected? See, what sometimes happens is people come to God's Word, and this this is introductory material, but it helps us understand. Some people come to God's Word and say, I'm going to read it devotionally, or what does it say to me? What can I apply today? And I'm not going to bother with the study side of things. Because that just takes away from what God wants to say to me. And we end up with people hanging themselves and doing likewise because, because we aren't informed by what God's Word is actually saying. So reading the Bible for spiritual reading. Yes, devotional reading is different from informational reading. It's different, but we, under, we have to understand that both are required at all times. We should never do one without the other. Never. And I include that even on the informational side. We should never read the Bible solely to study and have information without it affecting our lives devotionally. And, and what's happened is people have gone to both extremes and we have perverted the power of God's Word because it's always intended to be both. A couple of, of definitions that will help us in the class. Interpretation refers to what is the text's meaning. There is one proper interpretation of a passage. What is the text meaning with the original author? What was God communicating? Now, sometimes we ask the question, what, does God's, what, what is the meaning to me? And we have to be careful there because what we're really saying is, how does it apply to me? I don't change the meaning. That's, that's the, the individualistic worldview again. God has defined the meaning, but now if I mean by that, how can I apply that to my life? That's different. That's okay. So interpretation, there's one. What does the text mean? Application is what does God want to teach you through that interpretation? Interpretation must always lead to application. You turn the page. 
I know I don't want to leave you with blanks. You see a chart there that sort of explains it, and Don has that up there. There's a balance or enriching, enriching formational reading of the Bible. How does this help us? We have to reject that there's a difference or a chasm between the two. There's a balance. Now that balance changes a little bit depending on whether I'm studying God's Word and reading it to study it, or whether I'm reading it in my quiet time hoping to, to for devotional. Can you see? Oh, it's much better there. Okay. So the first one, studying the Bible, there's more of an emphasis on informational reading. Studying the, the, the commentaries and the culture and the background. But then there always is a transformational concern. How does it change me? But if I'm devotionally reading the Bible, I still should be paying attention to content. Because it, it affects whether I correctly am transformed or correctly apply it. And so the balance is different, but both are always there. Does that make sense? Ephesians 4.13. Somebody say that to me. Let's, I'll give you this as an example, and then we'll break into some groups. I'm sorry, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How is that often used? I can get through anything. Woohoo! I can jump off my house. I can do it because God strengthens me. I've heard people say things that are about as outlandish as that. The problem is, is we need some content. What is the context of Paul's statement there? What's he really saying? Anyone know? What was that? Anything I go through, but more specifically, learning how to be content with anything I go through. If we look at verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This isn't a promise that I can do whatever I want and he'll strengthen me. This is a promise that God will help us be content with whatever things come along in God's plan. Does that change our application? Changes our understanding? Now, if we didn't have that information, we would misapply that verse. And it often is. And so, that's what we mean, or the next, the next um, blank there, which you don't have. Informational enhances the devotional. It helps us understand. But we understand the, the verse even more when we, when we know that Paul was writing this from prison. He's writing this not only trying to learn how to be content, but in the worst of circumstances. Does that bring more power to, to Philippians 4.13? Absolutely. Now that I understand the circumstances, this guy has been beaten, he's gone through so much, he's in prison and he's writing, I can be content no matter what happens because God strengthens me. And now I have a verse that is a, a promise that God will help me bless him no matter the circumstances, whether he gives or takes away, that he will help me be content and be about his plan no matter what happens. Informational enhances the devotional. And then finally, informational protects the devotional. We want to make sure that we are using proper applications. And we've illustrated that already. So we're going to stop today because each day that we, we talk, we're going to do some study and then we're going to break into groups. And 
With the end, we'll usually have a little bit more group time when we're looking at the different genres of Scripture. You'll be given a passage and, and told to interpret that and put into practice. But today we're going to break up, and I just want to, in, in your groups and, and the different um, Sunday school classes are going to break off. The rest of the adults in here break into groups of maybe five, six, seven, whatever's comfortable. Ask one question today. Why is it hard sometimes for you to understand God's Word? Why is it hard for you to understand God's Word? We've sort of talked all about that today. And then, with the time remaining, ask if there's any prayer requests and pray for each other. We want to be a praying church. But um, the last two pages, just so you know, are a story that you can read that is very similar to the space shuttle exercise we did that helps us understand some, some things about biblical interpretation. Let me... Um, close in prayer and then dismiss you to some groups. And we're going to try this this morning. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to see your word as burning our hearts. Burning away sin, changing us, Lord. Help us to diligently come with great effort to understand your word and to see its power. Lord, thank you for a church that's willing to go through and learn how to study your word. In Jesus' name, amen.